Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're hearing our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are indeed a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, you can find our work all over the internet. Ben, why don't you plug a couple of the publications you've recently written for? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as EV Pulse and TechSpot and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week I'm going to be talking to you about a car that I don't think we've ever talked about on the podcast before. Can you believe that? I, I, didn't, I didn't think such a vehicle existed, Sam. Well, what's worse is that it's actually not that new of a vehicle. I'm talking about the Chevrolet Blazer, and I am driving the 2021 model, so it is, I mean, it is new, but it's been around for maybe, I think, two or, I think two years, I think is fair to say, and we have yet to really report on in any significant way. Is that perhaps because the Blazer is not that exciting? It is a tough thing to discuss. I think um, if we talked about it without the name being the Blazer, I think that would be another element of it as well. Because the Blazer nameplate has uh, heritage and a little bit of um, of history behind it. And this doesn't channel any of that at all. In fact, it almost seems like the complete opposite of what the Blazer um, used to be known for. Which what? I think was a rugged, tough kind of truck. I take a little bit of an exception with that... Uh that description of what the Blazer heritage is. So, yeah, there is a cool version of the Blazer, right? There's, like, mm-hmm. rugged, as you mentioned. It was a full-frame SUV, two doors. Um, it was start. They started building it in, I think, 69 or 70. Uh, and it, and it, what's interesting about the Blazer was it was really the first truck-based SUV to come out of Detroit. Uh, Jeep had been making SUVs, and International Harvester had been making SUVs, and, and of course there was the Ford Bronco, but those were all vehicles that had been designed from the ground up to be sport utilities. GM couldn't spend that kind of money or didn't want to spend that kind of money, so what they did was they took the C10 pickup and they, uh, they, they used the short wheelbase version and then they, they just covered the back. And okay, yeah. once they did that, Ford was like, whoa. <laughs> Maybe we should do that too. <laughs> yeah. And then Dodge was like, we're definitely going to do that. And they made the Ram Charger and the Plymouth Trail Duster. And then eventually the Bronco, Ford moved the Bronco onto that format. So it became very popular. And that, that was very popular for about 20 years. The reason I'm mentioning all this is because in the mid-90s... There was all, also a Blazer, right? Like, yeah, but that all stopped. It, they, yeah. they, they had the two-door Tahoe, which was the next generation GMT 400 version of that platform. And that ran until around 2000, 2001. And there was a there was a Yukon GT in that same year or two, which I, I happened to own one very recently, and it broke my heart. It's a terrible story, and maybe one day I'll tell it. Um, but uh, there were also some really terrible Blazers around the same period. There was the S10 Blazer, which was the small uh, version of the truck that was built on the S10 pickup, the the compact yep. pickup. That yep. wasn't particularly great. Um, there was the Trail Blazer, which was the. Oh, GMT whatever. I can't remember the Jimmy name. or something, right? No, no, no. It was the terrible... Remember there's a platform that GM came out with in the early 2000s? So the Blazer died in the mid-2000s. Then the, or you sorry, mean like the Envoy or something? Yeah, so the Blazer died in the mid-90s, I should say. Then the replacement for the Blazer, the two-door Yukon and the two-door, the two-door um, Tahoe, that died by the year 2000. And then after that, the Trailblazer name was put on this platform that uh, was used for the Envoy, the Isuzu Ascender, the Saab 97X. It was like this generic SUV. It had a uh, it had a straight six. You could get a 5.3 in it. I think the 97X Aero had a six liter. And there was a Trailblazer SS that had a six liter. And they were kind of quick in a straight line with the, the the big engine, but they were garbage in like every other way. They were just really non-memorable SUVs. No one really talks about them anymore. Um, it's kind of like a part of GM's early 2000s past where vehicles just weren't built to last and they weren't memorable. So everyone's like, oh, you know, they're really wasting the Blazer name on... And there was really just one generation. Yeah, there was, like, of- <laughs> there was like one from like 70 to like... I guess, 95, you had a cool blazer, and then we had no cool blazers, and that's almost, so it's 25 years of cool blazers, and uh, almost 25 years of terrible blazers in that same, in that same, that, that's, that's where, you know, the lens of history has landed. Okay, yeah, 
so then what why don't we talk about this um blazer because um it's not the blandest looking car in fact i think they take a lot of they try to take a lot of inspiration from the camaro and you can see that with like the angles that the body kind of takes and the headlights and taillight design and even in the interior of the vehicle they try to go with this like sporty look in fact you can get this um particular suv the model i had which is the rs trim with all-wheel drive comes with uh 20-inch wheels and can be off optioned up to 21-inch wheels which are really not rugged suv-ish right like they're that's low prof those are low profile tires for a for a suv you know every time i look at the camaro i'm like why can't they put those sight lines on an suv <laughs> okay so fortunately first first thing number one there are better uh sight lines than a camaro i wouldn't say they're like subaru-esque square windows to look out of but uh you you do have this uh improved visibility i also wanted to know because um we're now in the midst of winter and I wanted to know how a SUV designed to to channel that um, sporty DNA of a Camaro would would behave in the winter. Um, again, like I said, low profile rubber on this thing, um, but the RS model in particular has a unique all wheel drive system with this twin clutch um, setup. They basically it reminds me a lot of a uh, accurate super handling all wheel drive system, so you can get some uh, all the rear torque. Channel to one wheel or the and, other. And what's under the hood, though? Did you mention that? Did I just not hear you? No, I didn't. It's a 3.6 liter uh, V6. I okay. believe it makes over 300 horsepower. Essentially the same one that you do find in that Camaro. Um, and it's paired to a nine-speed automatic, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. And I really hope I am these days because I'm too young to be forgetting things. That's a, de- that's a decent amount of power. I mean, does it feel like over 300 horsepower? Because I know that 3.6... There's so many different configurations, and I've driven versions of it where, like, for example, in the Colorado, the Chevrolet Colorado pickup, it mm-hmm. really doesn't feel like 300 horsepower. So I'm going to um, I'm going to disappoint you, I think, by saying that it does not feel like um, like a ton of horse That's horsepower. I don't know what it is about the. It's either the engine or the transmission or just the weight of the vehicle, which t- tips in at over 4,000 um, pounds. Let me just make sure I got the the all-wheel drive. Yeah, over 4,000 pounds. And I don't know. There's something about it. It didn't carry its momentum very well. It never felt like it was in um, an ur- like urgent need of acceleration. And while the all-wheel drive system did a very good job of maintaining traction and keeping the car feeling steady, I always felt like I was tipping into the throttle a little bit more than I ever really wanted to, if that makes sense. Is, that a, tra- like- is that a transmission thing, do you think, or is it a power thing? I think it is more of a transmission thing. Um, and again, it, a nine-speed automatic. Um, GM has been okay with the transmissions lately. I think um, they can improve with the smoothness, the coarseness of their powertrains. Especially this. I don't know what it is, but you can feel the you can feel the 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 vibrations of this engine throughout the throughout the cabin. Um, and while the shifts are okay, the the it seems like the gear ratios just aren't there for me. Um, I will admit there are a couple of things that I really do like about the the um, Blazer. For example, it has the same climate control um, uh, user interface, I suppose is the best way to describe it, as the Camaro, which means that their two central vents um, are surrounded by giant knobs that control the temperature um, uh, heating or cooling. And I really like that. I love you know dual function sort of uh, items in a car. But um, next to that are a bunch of really tiny buttons, for example, for like fan speed, which I think is, is weird because you've got these big chunky knobs and then beside that are these tiny little buttons to, to change the fan speed. I guess they expect people to use the automatic uh, climate control function and never really touch the fan speed adjustment. But, you know, sometimes I like to take, take climate control into my, old, my own hands, right? Sometimes you live dangerously, Sammy. We get it. You're, uh, you're a real wild card. Um, another thing to discuss is the all-wheel drive system. As I mentioned, um, it offers a always-on all-wheel drive system, but there is no automatic disconnect of the of the rear axle like some other automakers offer with their all-wheel drive systems to help improve fuel efficiency. This one has a knob that you have to switch between um, two-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, sport mode, and some other modes like tour and, and off-road and towing. And we've come, so, we've come in we've come into contact with this knob before. Uh, I believe the Cadillac XT4 has this too, right? Yeah, and it seems it seems like 
it's not a four wheel drive setup, right? Like it's not like the same like all four wheel all four wheels get the same amount of power or anything like that. Yeah, it's it like you know because there's a lot of I mean that we were talking about the Kia Seltos a couple of weeks ago. And the Seltos had that 50% lock, like where you could, yeah. yeah and, and that was a common thing on Kios for a while. And, and this is not that. This is just like, it's a manual disconnect, right? Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's necessary. I don't know if we need that knob. It adds an extra, you know, couple of steps before you get to that sport mode. Again, doesn't really make that big of a difference. What do you mean? I should also of add, of course. I don't understand. Pardon? Why do you, what does it have to do with sport mode? So in order for you to... Oh, so it's not like an analog knob, I suppose is the best way to describe that. It is a knob that you have to nudge a couple of times to get to the setting that you want it to. So there's a two-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, um, uh, sport mode, tour mode, off-road mode, and towing mode. And you have to nudge it a certain amount of times to get into that into that drive mode. Okay. Okay. That's so how the touring knob. is you can never be touring with four wheel drive. You can only be. It is. I, I'm. I think it is with four wheel drive. So so what's regular? So like, what's the point between two wheel drive, uh, four wheel drive, and touring? Well, if right? touring like, touring is usually the base, like regular comfort oriented drive mode, right? I believe in this model, it's. I think a touring two wheel drive mode, and then the touring four wheel drive mode. That's. I can't picture this at this point. Like, it makes really no confused. sense. I'll send you a picture. Is it two knobs? Is it two knobs? No, or is it's it one, one knob. knob. It's one knob. Oh You're gonna. It, it, I, all I'm saying is they've complicated something that didn't need to be complicated. Well, I'll, clearly, because I can't understand it whatsoever. Okay, I'm Sorry, looking at this. I'm I, looking I, at the I picture meant, now. I'm just clarifying now. It is a touring mode with two-wheel drive, touring mode with four-wheel drive, sport mode, off-road mode, and tow mode. I like how off-road mode, it's like it's a picture of mountains. That's ambiguous. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. there's so – no, but there's so many cars now that have like a – a mountain mode if you have like a hybrid for battery recovery yeah. or, or to use more battery energy depending on the vehicle you're driving. Um, and th- it's interesting too that like this has a- a X2, X4 and all-wheel drive all on the same button. Right. So that all-wheel drive is not a button. It, it, so just so that I – It lights up, properly, right? It lights up when so, that mode is on. So and it's, it's a four-wheel drive but it's all-wheel drive. <laughs> yes. That's great. Okay. I'm in the game now. <laughs> yeah, now you're paying attention. It's a bit of a jumble uh, in terms of General Motors kind of approach to user interface, which is a shame because I think they do pretty smart things in terms of um, their infotainment system is pretty smooth. They have Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. They have wireless versions of those features, which I really love. It's very convenient. Uh, they have wireless phone charging to go along with it. Um, and it, this, my model even had um, a, a really nice uh, gauge cluster. I kept looking for a – so for a vehicle with a really cool all-wheel drive system, that twin-clutch system, and this adjustable all-wheel drive setting that you can put it in two- or four-wheel drive, I was looking for a system that kind of told me the torque split or something like that. Couldn't find it. Is that – that's curious to me. Like why would you go through the effort of putting that kind of um, – equipment in the vehicle, that kind of control in the driver's fingertips with the two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive in sport mode, and then not tell them how it's working, right? I just think that the demographic for the Blazer isn't really going off-road and probably doesn't care. In fact, that's the funny thing is like the off-road page provided all of that telemetry data of like your angles, but not your, your, power, your power distribution. So, okay. So they put an inclinometer in the car <laughs> yeah. and they just called it a day. Exactly, especially that. Like, that is it. So let's talk about the competition. I would say that the Blazer RS, um, number one competition, probably something like the Ford Edge and the maybe the uh, Honda Jeep, Passport, Jeep Grand Cherokee, the Honda Passport, the Subaru Outback. I think that and, and probably the new Sorento, the new Kia Sorento. Um, as well as probably the Hyundai Santa Fe. Well, you know, we talked. I, I have to take exception with the Grand Cherokee because there's so many versions of it. It kind of feels right. like this would be a very lesser version of the Grand Cherokee going up against what is I'm, I'm assuming is the top version of the Blazer. There is a, a higher trim version of the Blazer. It's called the Premier, and it doesn't feature that all-wheel drive system I just talked about. It features a more mundane all-wheel drive system, which is bizarre, right? And and do all versions of the Blazer come with this V6? No, you can get a four-cylinder. Okay, so I, 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 again, it really feels like top-rung Blazer, bottom-rung Grand Cherokee. But I can see it matching up with all the other vehicles you mentioned. Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly where it fits. Because sometimes, as we mentioned, I think, last week or the week prior, when we were talking about the, like, 
um, spectrums of a of a market segment. Sometimes an automaker, you know, provides an offering that is so left wing from everything else, or or yeah, like completely out of the ballpark in terms of performance or or off road ability. And the Blazer doesn't seem to to really deliver in any key area above everything else, and that's my biggest disappointment with it. I mean, if you wanted to go off roading, you've got the Passport and the out and the Outback to do that with. Um, and heck, even the Grand Cher- the Grand Cherokee, if you are going to include some trims of it, can go off roading. I think and, every, I think every version of the Grand Cherokee is trail rated. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think they are. If they're if they're four wheel drive. And there are some rugged versions of the um, Sorento as well. I don't think the RS fits in that in that bucket of of its competition, but also doesn't do anything in particular to make to separate it from those vehicles. It but was, I also think that none of the vehicles we're talking about go off road. I think like we're talking cottage roads or gravel roads at worst. Okay, maybe like a campground field that kind of thing. Yeah. And of course, I think this car might be able to do it. Probably not with those twenty-one-inch wheels, because who knows what kind of traction you get on those those sort of things. But um, I, I'm I was disappointed because maybe it could use a little bit more performance. It could use a little bit, but there's something about the car that just didn't feel as punchy as I needed it to be. Maybe that has something to do with the tires chosen. These were winter tires, really rugged winter tires, um, which are fantastic in weather conditions that we have, but um, can really impact the performance of a vehicle. But there was just something missing. And in addition to that, the car just felt a little coarse. The engine, the, the, the vibrations in it, the noise just weren't as refined as I was hoping. Because I've driven some of these, uh, some of these other vehicles and they're, they're much more refined. I mean, I found the, the Passport, for as rugged as it's marketed to be, a very refined vehicle. It felt like a family car that was hiked up on stilts. It was great. Now, um, is... is- is the Blazer competitive at all on price with any of these vehicles? Yeah, it is. It doesn't. It doesn't do too much in terms of price. It starts off um, at about, I think, thirty-five thousand uh, dollars for a front-wheel drive model, and the model I drove was closer to forty-five thousand um, dollars all in, which I think isn't too. Uh, sorry, forty-eight thousand dollars because they they knock off some two thousand um, dollars on the builds website incentive there so forty eight thousand dollars i don't think it's worth it at that much money i think that's a lot of cash to spend on a, a particularly um so it's forty eight thousand dollars in the U- in the u.s market yes for a completely average suv yeah when there are much better options available it is unique i don't see a lot of them i don't know if that's well, i think we just bad. discussed why we don't see a lot of them yeah. <laughs> i think design wise they've got most of it um styling wise they've got it most Mostly pretty pretty interesting, but everything else they've kind of uh, dropped the ball on. So it was a chance to do something unique and interesting. It was a <laughs> chance to maybe try to cash in on the name, and none of that happened. Yeah, I wonder if it had a different name, if we'd have a different conversation with them. I don't think so. I mean, because none of the other names except for Grand Cherokee that we just discussed mean anything. And Outback. I guess, yeah, Outback. But uh, – it's like no one knows or cares what the Edge's history is. No one cares about the Sorrento's history. The, the, the Passport is super new. These are yep. just vehicles people are buying on their merits, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, didn't the Passport have a badge, uh, a, 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 a rebadge sort of story behind it somewhere? The, there was, uh, I want to say that in the 90s. A Chevy? Honda, no, they rebadged the Isuzu Rodeo. Oh, right. Okay. As I, or something like that as yep. the as the Passport. So I mean, I was I was oh, interested in seeing. How, yes, I just I just want to drop a little kind of fun fact about the the rodeo. I believe in the Japanese market, the rodeo was called the Mu Wizard, um, and Mu stood for Mysterious Utility. So I love it. It was the Isuzu Mysterious Utility Wizard, which is one of the best names for cars ever. Uh, perfect. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I do wish that there was something a little bit more to this vehicle. And I think if you wanted a, a really um, a better well all-rounder in the segment, um, you could do fine with the Edge, even though it's not my favorite. I think the Outback is pretty good. If you want something that's a little bit more off-road oriented, I mentioned the Grand Cherokee and the Passport. I think those are pretty good. And the Outback has, I don't think, really disappointed over its many years of being around. Um, so I'm not sure the, the blazer kind of fits in the segment in any positive way. And, uh, hopefully they do something about it in the future. So really nothing to recommend about this vehicle, nothing great, nothing bad, just 
uh, kind of a, a placeholder for Chevrolet in that segment. Yeah. And it's weird because, you know, the Traverse, which is one step up, is pretty damn good. Yeah, it's very good. And it, again, I think uses a similar all-wheel drive system and just feels well-featured, better better thought out as a as a result of, of just having that extra space and it, it, adjusting to the... Like, when you think of the segment of the three-row crossover, there isn't a ton of space to play, right? Like, there isn't a, a unique element in that mainstream segment, right? Do you know what I mean? No car is trying to be the performance uh, three-row crossover. No car is trying to be the off-road version. They all kind of play the same. There was the Ford Flex, which was like the performance I version. I loved that thing. I yeah. absolutely loved that thing. So that that was that was pretty cool. Um, and, but other than that, it's, it's, it is kind of hard to think of another one that was going along those lines. So being impressed with that just means that you're you're staying within the, the 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 range or the limit of that segment, and I think that's what the Traverse does really well. It it is very competitive because everything else um, is quite is playing in the same field there. So I think only the the Palisade and the what's the other one called Telluride uh, have pushed the envelope in that segment, uh, particularly in terms of premium. Premium it's, um, it's true. I mean, there's some other there's some other placeholders like the Volkswagen Atlas, which is really yes. nothing to recommend it. Um, the Subaru, uh, what is it called? Ascent. The Ascent, which is a, again a very average, perfectly fine, normal three row. It and it's what makes things like the uh, the V8 powered um, Durango Durango kind of interesting, right? Like because you've got something that isn't in the rest of the segment, yeah. Or the plug in hybrid version of the um explorer or the hybrid version of the highlander when you've got that little like maybe it sounds like a gimmick or like a a kitsch like a there's a there's a killer app essentially of your car that is what we're looking for and i just don't see anything about that in the blazer it could have been that all-wheel drive system but it just didn't impress me the powertrain wasn't that um mind-blowing in any way or form so uh, uh, I just wanted to add one more three-row that was performance-oriented. It's also a Ford, and it's the Explorer ST, which is something we found. Oh, get out of here. Well, it does have 400-something horsepower. It is, it's pretty quick in a straight line. Okay. I'm not saying I want it, but I'm saying it made the effort. What I'm, but you agree with me. Like it, is, it helps separate your car from the competition when you have this something, this element that gets people going like, well, that's different. And they would walk into the dealership for that. Sure. Whether or not they pick that version of the car of the vehicle is another aspect altogether. Speaking of something that's different, uh, I drove a vehicle that um, really kind of defies categorization, especially when it first came out, and that's the 2021 Kia Stinger GT, Sammy. That's a really good way of describing it. I understand when you say like defies cl- like like classification or, or definition like it kind of is a sports sedan but it also kind of isn't because it doesn't feel as high end as other sports sedans and it has that sport back or or like roof hinge trunk right yeah so i think that the, the it's it, gt is right in the name it's a grand touring vehicle i think you can make a sports sedan that's not a luxury sedan so i'm okay with that but what's interesting about the gt is for kia it was the first rear wheel drive non-suv that they ever built uh, it came with a unique platform that was eventually expanded to include the Genesis G70, which is a shorter, lighter version of the same. And uh, it, it offered a pair of turbocharged engines. There's a, a turbo four and there's a turbocharged, twin turbocharged, sorry, 3.3 liter V6. That's the version of the engine. I, sorry, that's that version of the car that I had. It's 365 horsepower, Sammy. So uh, there's something about that motor. I don't think it is three. I think, you know how we've, we've talked about the, um, some some automakers kind of underrate their motors. I think that is another one. I don't know how a 3.3 liter turbo can only make that much horsepower. And it it's got to be way more. 376 pound-feet of torque. It does 60 in under four and a half seconds, which is <laughs> oh, yeah. kind of crazy. Uh, it comes with – my version had all-wheel drive. It's, it's not – like I said, it's a rear-wheel drive platform, but you can add all-wheel drive to it. In Canada, I believe they're all all-wheel drive. But in the U.S., it's uh, – you, you can choose. Uh, and it's just – Price-wise, it's just at a really interesting point where the base model, the four-cylinder, is thirty-three grand, and then the top-tier GT2, which is what I drove, is fifty thousand. But you can get wow. you can get the V6, the really fast V6, for thirty-nine if you want. And then okay. there's another, there's something called it. That's the GT. Then there's GT1 and GT2, and that's like they're all about seven thousand dollars apart. So 
you have like a $10,000 range of V6s. Uh, and you mentioned that it has the rear hinged hatch. It, it's very much like an Audi A7 in terms mm-hmm. of look and practicality. You can fit so much stuff in this vehicle. It's, I, to be honest, uh, I'm looking at picking something up in this segment in the next couple of years because we're uh, we just need a vehicle that's practical day to day in the household. Aside from what I have, because most of the vehicles I have don't go out in the winter, uh, so this would be a great year round. I, I, I was auditioning it as a year round daily driver for me and my partner. And so her and I spent a lot of time in it over this week, specifically trying to figure out if this is something we could live with. And I want to start with the hatch because I'm a big wagon fan. There aren't a lot of wagons out there. And I've been looking at stuff like the uh, Cadillac CTS wagon from about 10 years ago. I've been looking at Mercedes wagons and some Volvo options and some Subaru options. And this is kind of an interesting alternative to that that provides nearly as much space lengthwise not quite as much height, uh, mm-hmm. but it's so much more useful, Sammy, than, say, a Toyota Avalon, which is mm-hmm. roughly the same size, or a BMW 3 Series, which is much more expensive than this car and has less power. And it's, yeah, it's much more expensive. I think the 3 Series, although the new 3, the new three Series grew in size pretty significantly, so I was going to say I think it's a bit smaller, but I'm not sure about that anymore. Yeah, and and you used to be able to compare the GT to, sorry, the, the Singer GT to the 4 Series Grand Coupe, which was a very useful BMW, something that I, I enjoy driving, but that's no longer available. They haven't come out with a version with the redesign yet, so I don't know if that's going to be on the menu. But you can't uh, fit the, you can't, They can't fit four doors on that grill, really. That's what happened. <laughs> wow. You had to go there. You had to talk about the grill. Of course. But uh, moving through the rest of the vehicle, uh, the, the reason I bring up BMW and Audi is because when this first came out, it it was positioned, I mean, $50,000. It's a lot of money for a Kia in 2018, 2019. I can't remember exactly when this came out. Mm-hmm. But uh, Kia tried to justify it by loading it up with gear. There's like a head-up display. There's crazy leather seats with like automatically inflating bolsters when you go into sport mode. There's oh, like, I'm sure that's flattering. Okay. It's got all the stuff you'd expect from a high-end car in, in like just outside the luxury segment. So you have like uh, headlights that turn with the steering wheel, heated seats front and rear, cooled seats, heated steering wheel itself, uh, Napa leather if you want it, a um, bunch of cameras. Anyway, it, it, it's like the full plate of everything Kia has to offer. You can get that in the GT2. And even like a GT1 is pretty well equipped as well. Um, but I have to say, I drove this vehicle at the launch. We went to, I think we talked about it on the podcast. We went to Colorado. I was there with a good friend, fellow journalist, Beverly Braga. And we were on an ice course racing these around in the mountains, which was a lot of fun, even though it's super huge. And I almost went flying off the course at one point because I misjudged friction (laughs) but (laughs) i i remember being pretty impressed with the interior at that time and then driving it this past week not so much sammy okay that's an interesting development because i have to admit um especially with that six-cylinder motor there's something about the stinger that really appealed to me i think they raised the bar for for mainstream vehicles in in a significant way i think other automakers saw what they were doing and realized they have to up the game in terms of dynamics, in terms of packaging and premium, like a vehicle that feels different or special. And I think if it wasn't for the Stinger that came up, I think two years ago, I think you're right, we'd be missing some of the the developments that we have uh, happening in the industry right now. Well, I mean, for sure, there's nothing else like the Stinger on the market. Uh, a, a, non, a non-luxury badge that's rear-wheel drive this size with this much power, I don't think is out there. And um, the the problem for me, and I alluded to this last week, was I drove the Kia K5 just before I drove this. And the K5 Mm -hmm. is a much newer vehicle, obviously a couple of years newer, just recently redesigned. And the interior was much nicer, had nicer infotainment. It had just the materials, the design. It looked better. And it's much less expensive than the Kia. 
sorry, than the, than the Stinger. So mm. going from that to the Stinger and paying more for it, I realized that what I'm paying for is the performance, which I'll get to in a minute, and also the looks. This is a fantastic-looking car. Uh, mm-hmm. The tester I had was bright red. They make a fantastic orange car. Basically, I'm saying there's colors. You can actually get colors with this car, which is so unusual on, for, for a modern hatch or sedan, right? Um, but the inside, I get in, and there's just expanses of plain plastic or... Uh, poly poly material whatever you want to call it fake leather on the dash and it doesn't look terrible but it's not interesting and it has a very basic like pop-up infotainment system that again works fine stereo sounds decent but it's not it doesn't make me feel special so that was kind of a letdown for me and and much more of a letdown than i thought it would be interesting um again i'm i'm really pushing this if it wasn't for the Kia, there wouldn't have been – I don't know. Like we talked about the Mazda 3 and uh, the CX-30, which is a pivot for Mazda to go into a more premium direction. And I don't know. The the things that Mazda is doing remind me of what Kia did with the Stinger. They really tried to push and change the perception of the automaker in a very particular way. They focused on design, on performance, um, and I think packaging. And this car – nailed those three things it did so i'm gonna get to the things that i i've already talked about how much i like the interior room um of the vehicle Okay, talk to me about the performance because i'm not sure cargo space is great it looks great i think it looks fantastic uh but the real the real i mean killer aspect as you were talking about earlier with that the blazer doesn't have for the stinger gt it really is performance i mean it is quick in a straight line it has decent handling um it's it's a very heavy car so, yeah. again, much more of a grand touring car than a, a real sport sedan or sport hatchback. But there's it blows away everything at its price point from every other automaker. You're not going to go to Ford, GM, Dodge. Uh, maybe Dodge because you can get a Charger with a Hellcat motor. You can get a Scat Pack Charger. That's maybe the closest you're going to get to this kind of car. But, it, again, the Dodge platform is super old yeah. and not nearly as advanced as the Stinger. Uh, and and you can't get all-wheel drive with the V8 right now, so you'd be stuck with significantly less power. Uh, so and it's certainly not Toyota, Honda. It's, there's, there's nothing from those companies that even approaches this. Um, and it feels very solid when you drive it too. It feels like it costs more than it looks inside, and it feels like it costs more than the sticker price just when you're driving on the highway. It's very quiet. It's solid, and it's comfortable. It's it's an exceptional experience. Nobody is buying this car. They're selling like a handful a year. It is so sad. I'm sure it's going to be gone from the market in a year or two. And it's one of the biggest tragedies. This is the Ford Flex of the sedan world. <laughs> like, That's a really good point. It, is, it sounds like something that we're going to regret um, when it's not available anymore, and, or if, and, it's, if it gets cut. And Ford kept making the Flex like a zombie for like a decade past when people stopped buying them. I don't think Kia will do that with the Stinger, unfortunately. I think they're going to kill it a lot sooner. And it's too bad. And we are going to miss it, as you mentioned. And it's just, it's a fantastic package. And uh, after the week I spent with the car, I could completely see myself having this as a daily, having this in the household as a daily for my partner. Something that's safe, that we can do a lot of highway miles on between the country and the city. And um, never have to worry because it's it's got key reliability. It's got a really good warranty that comes with it. As far as I know, the 3.3 liter V6 is not a problematic motor. And mm-hmm. it has all-wheel drive for dealing with the snowstorms that we get on a fairly regular basis. So it's really, I, I guess you could say it's the encapsulation of like European sports sedan flavor seen through a Korean lens and given a much more reliable um, drivetrain and I guess every aspect, electrical system, all of it, you don't have to worry about all that stuff on an Audi, BMW, Mercedes that's going to fail out of warranty. Like it's, yeah. it's just a more solidly built vehicle. Good point. I was worried that you were going to fall out of love with this after driving. I mean, when the like I said, when the car came out, it was significant. It was a very important pivot. It was a, it was a, a highlight, I think, of the automotive um, industry at that point in time. I'm curious to see if it still ha- if it still maintains that because we've had a lot of really good cars um, pop up over the years. A lot of interesting decisions by automakers and changes of direction, and uh, either design driven or performance driven, or or just they want to go after the sales and they, everyone just made SUVs after that. But it stands out for a particular set of reasons, and I'm I'm curious to think. 
has that changed at all for you? Because it sounds I, like you still are in you are as still impressed with it as you were when it first came out. There are very few cars, modern cars, new cars in the last couple of years that I would own. Very, very few. This is one that would be on the list. Uh, as of, as if I had to own a reasonable car, this is as close to reasonable as I get. Is that because um, it's just such a good blend of like the the practical elements of a of a modern vehicle, and there's also like the performance and enthusiast oriented ve- uh, aspect of the vehicle. Yeah, and... it, if it wasn't a hatch, I wouldn't be interested. I'm going to be okay. honest. It would yeah. still be a good vehicle, uh, but it's the hatch really adds a dimension for an all arounder because I don't want to buy a modern SUV. I just don't. I already have the Jeep. I don't need something else that's Jeep-like. There's just no point. Um, why not save on fuel mileage, have a much more engaging drive, and still get reasonable usefulness in, in a hatchback form? And I can't get that anywhere else except for the Stinger GT or spend a lot more money on an A7 or an, a, a, a um, 4 Series GT that doesn't exist. Um, not to mention you'll be playing that – you'll be rolling the dice in terms of um... – Either maintenance costs or or reliability, right? Exactly, and and you know this, this vehicle tops out of fifty thousand. I I wouldn't want if I was buying new. I wouldn't pay fifty thousand for the car. I think the base GT at forty grand, like just below forty, is a really compelling value because absolutely, it's not super nice. Ten thousand dollars later, it has a lot of features which are cool, but you don't get more performance. You don't get like extra Brembo brakes. Like there's just yeah. there, right? Um, <laughs> So uh, it it's really a question of the package itself is compelling. You can get that package for forty grand, and there's nothing significantly different about it ten thousand dollars later. It's just somewhat more comfortable okay. or more stuff you can brag about to your friends. So you're not sure if there's going to be a second generation. I thought the fact that we have Genesis um, as sort of a, a sister to to Kia, they can make. And, and dial in different cars that way. But I guess if they want to really make Genesis stand out, they are not going to do a lot of platform sharing, right? No, I don't think it's a question of that. I think it's totally a question of sales. Look, the, G, the G70 version of this platform is far superior if, if you want a performance car. It is an exceptional car to drive. It's, it has less rear seat space. Uh, yeah, but it's also lighter. It's a smaller, lighter car. Hmm. And that is always going to be better to drive. But the reason I think that they're not going to be selling It's not these, a hatchback anymore, which is one of your favorite aspects of the car. Yeah, I know. But I'm just talking about, like, in terms of the platform, this is not a – it's not really a performance car. It's 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 a very well-equipped grand touring car. It's 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 I wouldn't call it fun to drive. It's, it's very good to drive. But the reason they're not going to sell them past the next couple of years is because they sold 12,000 last year, Sammy. Mm. I don't think that's enough to sustain it. And it's been the, – the most they ever sold – was in 2018 when they sold 16,000. So That's tough. That's really hard to justify. I mean, these are like Miata-like numbers. <laughs> and I'm sure that they're making a decent margin on the car because of the platform sharing. But it's, it's again, this is a car that like the Kia K900 doesn't fit with anything else Kia sells. You know, it's like, here's a range-topping car that we haven't built around. The K900, here's a big luxury rear-wheel drive sedan that is fantastic inside. Okay, but now we've at, got... at a discount over what you pay for, like, an E-Class. But, again, no one goes to Kia for that. Are people going to Kia for the Stinger? I don't know. But now you've mentioned K900. Is the K900 still on sale? For the next couple of years, yes. Okay. K900, Stinger, and I would add Telluride. I think Telluride has changed. Ah, uh, but I, I don't think we can add. I don't think we can add any trucks. I don't think you can compare this to SUVs because that segment is so weird and on its own now. You what know, I mean can... to say is that those are three vehicles that change Kia from just being a mainstream automaker to something a little bit different. Yes, and I don't think it's worked. I don't think that people are. Coming... How many more cars do they need? Well, cars. No one buys cars anymore. Sorry. How many more vehicles in that that have that? How many more vehicles do they need to change their benchmark from being at a certain level, right? I think three is a very good number for them. It's a very good building point for them. Yeah, but and you're, talking you drove about, the- you're talking about these three vehicles as if people buy them or know they exist. No one knows the K900 exists, and mm-hmm. almost no one buys a Stinger GT. So, so like just, Everything's hanging on the Telluride. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying that Kia – I think Kia has a good reputation. I think the reputation is improving year by year as well. But I don't think the – I certainly don't think the K900 has anything to do with that. I think that's – that is like – that's like the secret menu item at yes. Kia where like you have to go in and know a guy who knows a girl who like I gets also you don't a, think the K900 is particularly great like in any way. I like it. I mean I think it's pretty badass. But um, – Because it's a secret menu item. 
No, because it's everything that an E class or an A A A seven is for like way less money and a lot more reliable. You know, like it's not going to cripple you if it breaks down in your fifth year of ownership. <laughs> but uh, I think that I think the, the Stinger has been ignored. Um, and if it's a Halo vehicle, if they're going to position it as a Halo vehicle and keep it there, I'd be like, okay, this is like we're okay with low sales because maybe people are coming into the dealership because of this. But I think the swing towards SUVs has really hurt the Stinger. Hmm. I, I just think that like no one's really buying big cars anymore. Um, we know the S-Class, 7 Series, A8, all that stuff has really dropped down. And those were flagships for their respective uh, badges. And I think that the GT is definitely the flag. I don't think the K900 really counts as a flagship because, again, total secret. But the Stinger <laughs> is a good substitute for that. And, I mean, I I would love it if they kept going with it and, and did a refresh on the interior and that kind of thing. But I, I just find it hard to believe that's going to happen. I didn't realize that. But the flagship... The flagship or Halo vehicle at those luxury brands have always been sedans. Yes. And they should nowadays be an SUV. And the only automaker that I think is doing that is is Cadillac and maybe Lincoln. Well, I mean, the BMW X7 is a big step in that direction. It is. I don't it's th- getting closer. And I don't think have the GLS... G-Wagon as a as a as some sort of lifestyle image vehicle of some kind. Yeah, right? but again, like... You know, it's it's such an outlier, with and the sales are very low on that yeah. um, compared to like S class sales, which are not great either. So I, it's I don't think the Q8 or the Q7 or whatever have ever really caught on in that way. The Q8 uh, is kind of cool. It's kind of cool, but it, it's it's hard to call it a flagship, right? So uh, I think Audi's it's practically a, it's practically a Lamborghini and Mercedes. Definitely the GLS. They tried to make that the yeah, the they, S class of SUVs, and nobody bought that. It is, it is a very good SUV. It's just not that. Like, there's something about the S-Class. There's an essence. There's a soul to it that just the GLS doesn't yeah. have yet. And, and I think the X7 is, like, no. I think the X7 has way more personality than any of its German rivals. Yeah, I think that makes a lot more sense. Um, okay. I'm going, to, I'm, going to close it all, I'm going to close the conversation on, our, on the Stinger now because we have some uh, listener feedback and listener questions here. Uh, Cam is, is a fellow V8 manual transmission um, listener, and he asked Ben, I think Ben, because Ben is the, the other manual V8 transmission, manual transmission guy out there. You'll get our, there, Sam. I don't know. Um, he asked, what would, you, would you choose a Terminator Mustang or a 2018 Mustang GT with the PP1 manual? Um, specifically, he asked about that, that newer Mustang, about the updated MT82, which is a transmission, um, if it's been improved or not, uh, because this transmission used to have some some issues to it. And he wants to know if your CTSV has the T56 Tremec, which the Terminator has, which is a an older Mustang SVT Cobra from uh, mid-2000s? 2003-2004. Early 2000s. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there, so let's go through it first. Ben, well, does your CTSV have the T56 Tremec? Yes, of course. Okay, good. Check. Nailed it. Um, T56 is a, it's a really great transmission. I mean, it's been in a ton of vehicles, Vipers and Corvettes and everything. It has a lot of weird stuff. I mean, uh, Cam mentions having it. He had it in an F body. Uh, this like when I first got it, I had, there were issues like where it wouldn't shift into first gear. And I had to do this thing where you let it roll and then clutch kick it into first gear. And it was because I needed to uh, bleed my clutch. And I also had to, um, uh, I, I, the, the, the shifter in the Cadillac, has these garbage bushings and they make it really difficult to actually put it in gear. So I had to change the bushings with the poly bushings. It really helped change the shifter angle. Um, but it's, it's a very stout transmission. It's known for being very strong. So I, I, I haven't had any problems with mine other than that. And those were fixed. Cool. I would have thought that such a not being able to put it into first would have been like, I would have first thing I would have checked would be the, the fluid, the, the transmission fluid. And no, that's I mean, as far as I'd go. <laughs> fluid, in a manual gearbox, the level never changes. It's not, you know, it's it's a closed system. Or cha- so. or changing it altogether, all or the differential, or something like that. Because well, the FRS has some issues at cold weather. In cold weather, getting into first too. Well, it's it's really the the it was really a, more of a, a clutch fluid issue. Um, okay. But the 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 in a manual transmission, I mean, the only way fluid's going to come out is going to be through a vent, uh, and your transmission has to get pretty hot. Um, I used to have problems on the racetrack with the Cadillac where 
uh, I would have transmission fluid basically basting the underside of my car Ew. because it would get really hot. And what I ended up doing was adding a breather tube that like went up into the engine bay and then curled and curled and curled and curled. So like the fluid would come out and the heat would be released, but it would never make it to the point where it actually um, liquefied <laughs> underneath my, my vehicle. Um, um. So okay, then let's get to the uh, this 2018 Mustang GT PP1. Um, this manual transmission. We've driven Mustang GTs with um, with manuals ever since they came back in 2018. Uh, this generation. But what we haven't to, done, Sammy, is owned those cars over a period of years. Right. So I was going to add, <clears throat> if you've had any experience with those with those transmissions, I don't think I've had a, a, a noticeably terrible experience with those transmissions i've never thought they were fantastic transmissions but they were they were not that poor but people have noted that the reliability on these transmissions is kind of suspect right i mean they there's currently a class action lawsuit against ford <laughs> for so these you don't want me to use the word suspect anymore it's they claim that they were designed for four-cylinder vehicles that they were put in because they didn't want to use tremec transmissions anymore uh, that they did, or, 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 uh, the, the, the TR3650, uh, was too expensive. So they put this in, this MT82, and it wasn't capable of standing up to the power being generated by the car. So that's, you end up with, uh, you get locked out of third gear at high RPM. Um, you get, get rough shifting, all sorts of stuff like that. I haven't experienced any of that personally. I know a lot of people complain about it. They made an update in 2018, which is why I think Cam was talking about that model, uh, that that model year. Mm. Uh, the update, some people claim it helped things. Some people don't. I don't really know the truth myself. Uh, people are still upset, and those versions of the car are included in the class action. So, wild. It is something to think about. I mean, you can do things. You can do a clutch replacement. Uh, you can put a short throw in. You can um, add shifter support brackets. All these things help. But you shouldn't have to do that on a vehicle this new. Uh, the other thing, but getting more to the heart of the question, would I choose a Terminator Cobra versus a PP1 GT? It okay, really wait. Depends. No, no, wait. Just wait for a moment. I need a history lesson on this Terminator Cobra because it caught me off guard, this question. Um, and I, I, don't, I, need, I need help. Hit me with this. What is this? What is well, this it was Terminator? A new, it's a cool name, first of all. It's a new edge, new edge Mustang from right. early two thousands, which they, I actually really like the design of. I don't think they're that bad. No, it looks it looks good. It had a three hundred ninety horsepower, four point six supercharged engine. Um, oh. The thing is, though, you could just change a pulley, and you had way more power. Like it responds Wicked. very well, very well to modifications. It's very robust. It's hard to break. You're you're gonna be able to beat on it, and not have too many problems. Um, so. You know, 390 versus what's the Mustang making now? 440 something? 460? Mm-hmm. Something at around least four, there. At least four, 450. Yeah. So it's, I can't, for 2018, I can't remember if it's the 430 or the 460 or 440. 4, 440. It's it's this roughly equivalent power, I would okay. say. But whenever you get roughly equivalent power from a naturally aspirated engine versus a supercharged engine, I kind of have to give the advantage to the the NA motor because it's going to be mm-hmm. running cooler, it's less stressed, and there's less things to go wrong. Uh, that being said, if you want to modify it, I mean, sky is kind of the limit with the Terminator. You, you can just do so much with that motor. Uh, the other plot twist, both of these Mustangs have independent rear suspensions. So, like, Ooh. the Terminator and the SVT Cobra that came before are the only other Mustangs, aside from the S550, that had that. Which is a big deal. I mean, Ford made a huge... Like they they said they 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 made a big stink about their the recent Mustang with its independent rear suspension. Yeah, I mean, but I, this was has happened before in these SVT models. I personally think that you know a stick axle can drive pretty well. Um, I raced the Fox body fairly extensively, which is a lighter implementation of you know a live axle, and you can have a lot of fun in it. There's a lot of live axle cars out there that are a lot of fun. Uh, but for me, the real question becomes if you have to drive this car every day. So right. if you are dr- daily driving a 20-year-old Mustang, I think you're going to miss a lot of the creature comforts that are in the the newer car. The yeah. newer car is going to be heavier. It's not going to have the same kind of visceral feel. But it is also going to be just easier on you if you're commuting. And it's going to be reasonably fun at the track. I think PP2 is a much better package. Than um, PP1, right. Yeah. But... I, I mean, if you're comparing these two cars as fun dailies, I think the PP1 would pull ahead of the, the Terminator car. 
Yeah, I think you're right. But as like uh, as weekend cars or track or, or track weapons, that Terminator sounds pretty good. They're both pretty good. I mean, it's these are very. They're both. I mean, you've got to think about the features that in a modern car that just wouldn't happen in a car twenty years ago. And, and also, like old, you know, right? your 2018s, you're probably going to find a lower mileage example. It's probably going to be less beat. Uh, it's just. It's it's really hard to say. I would drive them back to back. That's always the best advice I can ever give anyone. But again, if you're if you're going to be driving them every day, the modern Mustang is going to really pull ahead there. And and you know the must to my mind, I find that the current cars is very insulated as a drive, so um, that gives it a bit of a disadvantage on the track. But I think your lap times would be higher in the modern car. Or sorry, your lap times would be better, not higher. In, in the in the 2018 plus as well. So Cam, thanks for listening and thanks for the question. I hope that wasn't confusing. <laughs> I don't think we helped, but <laughs> but uh, it's it's definitely a good question and it's cool to, that you're comparing these cars because I mean I had a friend with a Terminator growing up and um, I never got to drove it. I rode it a bunch of times and it's a wild car. I mean it's just it's pretty nutty. And this was like in 05, 06, so it was right around when they just come out and uh, it was one of the quickest cars you could buy. That's awesome. Um, okay, so let's say that uh, you're a listener who, like Cam, has a question for us. There's a very easy way to get in touch with us. Did you know that? You can just go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and there's a contact form there. You fill that out, bam, we got your question. And if it's good, we'll talk about it on <laughs> on the podcast. And if it's bad, we'll talk about it too because we're starved for content. <laughs> That's right. Um, additionally, you can email us the old-fashioned way, benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. Super easy. Uh, I, I never forget it. That's for sure. And you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. It's very interesting because it's his last name first and then his first name at That's Hunting Benjamin. There's someone who has Benjamin Hunting and he's like a guy who uses it like Hunting Benjamin's like like Benjamin Franklin $100 bills. And all he does is like post bad lyrics. <laughs> awesome. I, so, I, I'm following him. I followed I, him first before I I know. I couldn't compete honest. with that. So I had to flip my name. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, S-A-M-I underscore H-A. And that's how you can get in touch with me if you, for some reason, wanted to really get to know me better. I suppose that would be the way to do it. Uh, Furthermore, you can go to our website. It's hard to know Sammy. I'm just going to put that out there. So don't get your hopes up. Um, you can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can subscribe to our podcast using a bunch of buttons to, to choose your podcatcher. It's super easy. Additionally, while you're at the website, you can see all of our previous episodes. You can see links to the stories that we've published based on the cards that we talked about. Um, and I'm sure there's some other fun things going on at the website that I forgot to mention. So please subscribe, send us a message. Um, we really appreciate it. I know there's, uh, it's been tough going these past few, this past year, I suppose. And if you want to talk to somebody, we're here for you. Right, Ben? Definitely. Thank you for listening, everybody. Take care. Bye. <laughs>